So it is Youth Sabbath once again. As you can tell by this little situation we had here, I was getting a little bit nervous. Um, but in case you didn't hear what they were saying, what they said was, thank you, Jesus, for this new start. That even though I dumped all of this stuff in my ice cream, my favorite thing, you gave me a new start. And you didn't just scoop the dirt out, you gave me a whole new banana split. Isn't that a great message? Isn't that a great message? In four days, all of us are going to get a new start. That's what we were talking about in Sabbath school today, a new start. How many of you guys love a new start? Start to the new year. In four days, we get a brand new start, and we love that. Students, we love getting new starts because it means we have a whole quarter or a whole year that we can mess up again. We love it. We just think it's so great. It's great to get a new start um, for a new year to do things better, a new start in relationships when we're forgiven. Anything new, any chance to get a new start is exactly what we're all about. We like to do redos. For example, we're redoing the youth room. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to go in, but we're in the process of getting new furniture and making that a place just for the youth. Um, we like to have redos when we mess up on a test. We like to have redos um, in video games and in pretty much everything we do, right? Um, this morning, I have a video I'd like to show you about a homeless man. This video went viral just a few months ago because this homeless man got a redo that everybody was really inspired by. And so we're gonna look at it just for a second this morning. That's what it's all about, right? Can you see why this video went viral? It's because people are so inspired by this. This is what we dream of for a new year, that somebody will look into the mess that we've made of our lives. That somebody can see how bad we've messed up. And that somebody would be able to identify and see something really special in us and call that out of us and say, you know what, I'm going to give you a new shot. I know that you've messed up, but I'm going to give you a new chance at new housing. You're going to get a chance to overcome your addictions. I'm going to make this your new chance. Right? That's why we love a new year. But the thing is, I I apologize in advance um, because I'm probably going to burst a few of your bubbles. Um, But the thing is, as I watched this video, a thought came to my mind that I couldn't ignore. You see, I volunteered at um, a drug and alcohol recovery program for four years when I was in high school. And I saw this kind of thing regularly, that people would come and they would want to recommit their lives to God. They wanted a new chance. They wanted a new start. They were sincere. They would cry. They would get new clothes. They would get set up at a halfway house where they could live and they could get a chance to get over these things. But here's the difficult truth about new starts. The difficult truth, and even the difficult truth for this man, is that unless something else changes, he will go back to his old patterns. Because they were able to change everything about him on the outside. They changed his clothes, they changed his hair, and they dyed it. They put makeup on him. They put a suit on that man. But they were not able to change the reasons why he became the way that he is. Because when he walked into that makeover, he carried what we are carrying right now. He carried his guilt over relationships that he's broken. He carried his pain over things that have, wrongs that have been done to him. He carried his fear of failure and all the reasons why he was not able to make what he would think is a success in his life. He carried all the things that we carry today. And they were not able to reach in and to change those reasons. And so his, his success hangs in the balance very precariously. 
I saw it in Celebrate Recovery, the program I volunteered at all the time. Um, Bill, one of um, the guys I got to be really close with, he was maybe 60 years old. He owned a halfway house, which is probably where Jim, this man, is probably going to go. Um, and he gave people a chance to have a new start. But I remember one day he walked in on Thursday and he showed me a ring and he said, I met somebody last week. I finally met the love of my life and we're getting married. Another woman who was also recovering from alcoholism. And they had a really great time for a couple months. But the same reasons why their previous marriages had failed came back. And in a couple months, he came back with no ring and he was so heartbroken. And we were worried because it's when pressures in life come, right? When things get difficult and things don't work out like they're supposed to, that we start going back to all the things that we do to help us cope, all the things that we know aren't good for us, all the things that we make our New Year's resolutions about that we're never going to do again, and it's going to be okay. He went back, and I didn't see him for two months. And when he finally came back, he was a broken man. He had lost so much weight because he had started doing drugs in the street again. He lost his halfway house, and he came back. And the beautiful thing that I saw when working in drug recovery is that God gives us a new chance every time. He came back, and he had a chance to recover from the addiction, but the idea that this new relationship or this new thing would give him that new start was a lie, because the reasons for who he, the reasons why we do things and the things that are ingrained in us, the patterns of our destructive habits and our bad habits and the reasons why we mess up our lives, those things remain no matter what we do on the outside. But nobody wants to believe that about a new year, right? Nobody wants to hear this kind of message when we're about to start 2014. I saw a really good line from Alfred Tennyson. He's a British poet, and this is what he said about the new year. This is why we love it so much. He says that hope smiles from the threshold of the year to come, whispering, it will be happier. It will be happier this year. But what happens when we start the new year? What happens if it's not happier? What happened this year? Because the reality is, is that after we finish celebrating our new year after we finish our Martinelli's and we take off our sparkly outfits and everything is all great, the reality is, is the burdens that we're carrying in 2013, all that old stuff, all that guilt and that shame and that fear, all the reasons why we don't trust God, all of those things, we're going to pick those up and carry them into 2014 before we know it. And the same reality that is Jim's reality, even if, you know, maybe we're not addicted to drugs or alcohol, maybe we are, but that same reality that is his reality is our reality. That unless something dramatic changes in our lives, 2014 is going to be exactly like 2013 was. Unless something outside of ourselves that we cannot do or else we would have done it already. If we could have made ourselves free, we would have done that already. Unless someone, something outside of ourselves can come into our hearts and tear down those old things, those old lies and those old reasons why we're not good enough. Unless someone out there can help us, we will fail in 2014. That is the reality. But you are here this afternoon because God has called you here today. You are here because God has that thing that you need and he is making an appeal for you today. God is saying, let me reach in. I want to make you new. I don't want to just scoop it out of you. I want to make you new and I can if you'll let me. There's a story that we'll be looking at today. It's in John 5. 
If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to them, John 5, about a man who maybe is like some of us are today, had too many disappointments and too many failures and too many times it did not work out until Jesus stepped in. John chapter five. It reads, Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now, I'm sure that many of you have heard this story. If you look in your Bibles, interesting fact, um, verse four is missing from some translations because some manuscripts included this verse and some didn't. So I'm gonna tell you about the angel idea, the angel myth. The reason why this pool was there and the reason all these people were crowding around is because they believed that periodically the angel of the Lord would come and stick his finger in the water and stir it around. And if you could be the first one to get in that water, you would be healed. So they they waited because these people who were sick and who were lame and who were crippled, they needed hope. They needed to believe that somehow, just like we need to believe, that somehow things can be different than they are right now. And so they laid by that pool and they needed hope and they waited and they waited and there was one man in particular, John 5, 5 tells us, who was there who had been, who had been sick for 38 years. 38 years. Now, as we look further in the passage, we'll see that maybe he's not 38 years old. Maybe he's older than that. Maybe the reason he ended up there was something that he did. But for 38 years, he had been sick. I wonder how many years he had spent lying next to that pool. How long would you wait there? Maybe a long time if that was your only hope. Some of the burdens that you're carrying right now, that fear and that anger and that resentment that you can't shake and that hurt and that pain that it wells up every time you see the people who caused them. How long would you wait by this pool if getting in when it stirred meant you could get free? How long have we been waiting? Have we been waiting all year? Have we been waiting longer than that? This man had been waiting maybe for 38 years. And he had been there. And Jesus saw him. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question. Do you want to get well? That's not a question just for that man. That is a question for me and for you today. These things in your life that cause you pain that you think you'll never have freedom over, Do you want to get well? Do you want to? You see, Jesus has to ask because even though this man has been there for years waiting to be healed, Jesus is there now. Jesus can heal him, but he has no idea. He just sees this man made out of flesh, and what is he going to do? And so Jesus doesn't even wait for him to ask. God isn't waiting for you to ask today. God is asking you today, do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? See, the easy, the easy answer to that is yes, but you have to think about it first. Do you want to get healed? Do you really want to be free from the anger that has held you up? Do you really want to take a risk that if you forgave, God might call you to reconcile with somebody else? Do you really want to let go of that baggage? What is it going to feel like if you can't be defined by your pain? What is it really going to be? What will God call you to do? Is it possible that God might call you out of a situation that you're comfortable in and send you somewhere that will be better but might be harder at first? 
Do you really want to be healed? Because if this man is healed, this man now has to walk. And if he needs to walk, now he needs to get a job. And if he gets a job, people could be mean to him or he could lose his job. I mean, there are real risks to this. And it sounds funny, but in our lives, it's the same thing. If God heals us, we have no more excuses. We have no more excuses for why we don't serve him. We have no more excuses for why we don't trust him. So Jesus is asking him, and he is asking me, and he's asking you, do you want to be healed? That's what he asks this man. And this is what, this is the truth that we have, not just for him, but for us, that if we are in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That's the promise that God gives us. So why is it that we don't live that? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that if we dump vacuum dirt on our banana split, God can give us a completely new one? Do we really believe that God can reach into our souls and our lives and make us new? Do we really think that? Because that's what the Bible says, and God's promises are true. So why is it that we don't live that new reality? I think that the sick man gives us, gives us a reason why that is. This is his response. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. That's what he tells Jesus. He is standing, he's sitting or lying in front of the healer, the man who can heal him and make him well. God has asked him, do you want to be healed? And he doesn't even give him an answer. He just says, God, here are all the reasons why this isn't going to work out for us. Don't we do that too? God says we can live a new creation life. And we say, but here's the reasons why that's not possible for me. You see, I tried praying before. I sent you a prayer or two and you didn't answer. I I tried reading the Bible. Um, My stuff is too big. I, I can't give this to you. You can't handle the situation that I'm in. He says, I have tried for 38 years to get into this pool and I cannot. And so I can't even answer your, your question if, you want, if I want to be healed or not. And that's what we do, right? Jesus is saying, do you want to be healed? I can heal you. And we say, here are all the reasons why that is not going to work out for me. That's what this man says. But I want to tell you what Jesus says. At this point, Jesus could have stopped and said, you don't have enough faith for me to heal you. Jesus could have said, okay then, I'm just going to walk away. You got your chance. But let me show you what Jesus does. This is what Jesus says to him. John 5, 8 through 9. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. That once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. That was strange to me when I first read it. So Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? He goes, here's all the reasons why that's not going to work out. And Jesus goes, I'm healing you. Right up front. Didn't ask him for anything didn't ask him to prove himself, didn't even ask him to have enough faith that he could be healed. Jesus just says, do you want to be healed? Here's your chance. I want to heal you. But there's more to this story. There's more to this story, but before we go on to that, we need to consider what this means in our lives before we think about the rest of the story. Second Corinthians, where we were, um, right before we, we talk about being made new, It reads, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What this means is once upon a time, and even maybe in this moment, but no more, we looked at Jesus and we thought, wow, what a great thing you did on Calvary. What a great thing you did healing people. But that doesn't 
really apply to me now. Once we regarded Christ from a worldly point of view, but we're not supposed to do that anymore. We're not supposed to see Christ as the one who did stuff yesterday for other people, but as the Christ who makes us new now. And it goes on to say, because if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here now. Not with a new start like a new year, but when you are in Christ, the new is now, whether you live it or not. Whether you pick up your mat and walk or not, the new is here. If you have chosen to be in Christ, you are new. You don't have to live like you're new. You don't have to believe it, but you are new. And what God is saying is, do you want to be new today? God is saying, is it possible that I may have already reached into your life and showed you the way out of this problem? that I may have already in, broken your chains, I'm just asking you to throw them off. Are you willing to take a step forward in faith to believe that I have made you new? It continues saying, all this comes from the God, and this is in the Message Bible, who settled the relationship between us and him. The verse continues, but we have to consider this for a moment because I don't think that we really believe this. I know that I have a problem believing this sometimes. God has settled the relationship between you and him. When you come to Christ and you accept him, when you come to Christ daily and confess your sins, God has settled the relationship between you and him. God has settled that relationship. There is no more debt. There is no more condemnation. God is not angry at you. God is not waiting for a chance to swoop in and punish you for something that you did. God says, between us, we're all right. With the things that we've done in our lives, we have messed up and we have messed up bad. But God has said, all of that, come to me, we're good. And if at any point we feel that there is a barrier between us and God, even after we have confessed our sins to him, that is not him telling us that. Because God is saying, I have already settled the relationship between us. It reminds me of a story that I read. It was about a woman named Maria and her daughter, Christina. Now, Maria was a single mom. They didn't have a lot of money. Um, she was a maid who cleaned, and they didn't have a lot of money for luxuries or for big dreams, but she got Christina through school, and Christina's dream was to go to L.A. and to be an actress. And she always told her mom, I want to go there. I just want to pick up, and I just want to go right now. But her mom would warn her, you have to be careful. What will you do when you get there? How will you have enough money to eat? And she said, you're going to end up in the street. You're going to end up doing things you will regret for the rest of your life. But one morning, Maria woke up, and Christina was gone. And she knew she had to do what she did next. She went to a photo booth, and she spent as much money as she could taking pictures of herself. And she went to L.A. to look for her daughter. And as she went, she went to every strip club and bar and nightclub and place that a girl with no money might end up so she could make ends meet. And she posted pictures of herself on the women's bathroom mirrors and all over every place that she could find. And about a month later, Christina walked out of a Motel 6 where she had been sleeping with men so that she could have enough money to eat. 
And she walked down the stairs and she went into the restroom and she saw this familiar photograph. And it was her mother's picture and she picked it up and she flipped it over and on the back it said, whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Just come home. That is God's message to you today. Whatever you have done, whoever you have become, it doesn't matter. Just come home. God is saying, I want to make you new. I want to give you a new start that is going to last. Not something that is only going to last for as long as the clothes look good and as long as you're able to keep the weight off and keep that job and make money. God says, I want to make you brand new. That is what he is saying to us today. And that is what he has already done. We simply have to accept it. But there's more to this first. All of this, this new life, this newness that we can have, it comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him, and there's more, and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. In the fancier Bibles, this term is the ministry of reconciliation. God has said, I have come down, I have settled my relationship with you. And in response to what I have already done in your life, I am calling you to settle your relationships with each other. Now, it doesn't seem like it makes sense at first, right? Like, how is that connected? But when we consider what is important to Jesus, Jesus says two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, your relationship with me and your relationship with other people are the two most important things to me. We're good. God is saying, I have already settled my relationship with you. Now I need you to go and settle your relationships with other people. Because most of the pain in our lives is caused, is caused or happens between two people. And for as long as we're holding on to that, as long as we hold on to that, we will never be free. We cannot live a new 2014 if we are carrying into 2014 the baggage and the hurts of 2013. And so God asks the question, do you want to be healed? Because to be healed means that you have to forgive. He'll help you, but you have to forgive. But there's something really important to point out here. Um, when it says God calls us to reconcile with each other, it's a special word in the Greek. It doesn't talk about two people making amends. It doesn't talk about two people making it right. It talks about what God did with us. It talks about a change in one party, even if the other doesn't change. God is saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. I'm not calling you and asking you to go and to like be best friends with the people in your life who have caused you trauma. This is what I'm saying. Just as God was able to make it right between us, even if it's just on his side and we don't accept it, this is what God is calling us to do in our relationships. God is saying, make it right at least in your end. Settle that relationship. Settle that relationship. Find a place where you can trust him with that hurt and with the revenge for it. Find a place where you can release that hurt and ask him for his healing, even if the other person never responds. God has said in this story, I took all the steps towards you. I'm asking you to settle your relationships with one another. This is how you will be made new. Um, 
The passage continues saying, God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. He wants to make everybody new. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. That is the work God has for you in 2014. God wants you to go, to be reconciled with him, and then to be with him in making things right with other people. That is what God has called us to do. And it says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Something else interesting about the original language here is that this isn't saying, go, you, go, be reconciled to God, be good enough, so you can. What this really says is, let yourselves be reconciled to God. God has already done the work for you, just allow yourselves to go there. And that is what Jesus offered the lame man that day. But the story continued. In, in John chapter 5, verse 14. After this man is healed, he gets his mat, he's walking around. This is the reason why we think it's possible that he became lame because of something that he had done. Because Jesus says to him, something that sounds kind of threatening. It says, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. See, I have made you new. Jesus is saying, if you have chosen to be in Christ, even today, I have made you new right now. At this moment, you have been made new. You are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. That's so awkward. I mean, it's just like, oh, okay, I guess I should be careful, right? It sounds like a threat, but it's not. Jesus is warning him. Jesus is saying, you get a new chance. You get a new start and you get a new life. I have given that to you. I didn't ask you to change everything about your life before I gave it to you. I gave it to you up front, but what you do with that is up to you. And Jesus says, I've given you the new start, but if you continue in that way, it might get worse. So Jesus is saying, preserve that new start. Take it seriously. I didn't ask you to earn it. I just gave it to you. So take it so that you can truly be free. It can, it's the same thing in the passage we're looking at. Um, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. God says, I have given it to you freely and abundantly. Please don't waste it. Please don't waste it because it's this grace that will make you new. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Your new start is now. And so as God has given it to you at this moment, please do not waste it. As you get this new start, Choose to change the things in your life that would try to take it away from you. The relationships in your life that would try to steal your joy, the habits that you have, reveal them to God so that he can break them with you. So that the old patterns that are in us, which are the reasons why we mess up again and again, so that God can have a chance to come in and to make you new. I found an interesting poem about the New Year's that I'd like to share with you as we close and as the band comes up. It says, I am the new year. I am an unspoiled page in our book of time. I am your next chance at the art of living. I am your opportunity to practice what you have learned about life during the last 12 months, including this realization that we have been made new. I am your opportunity to renew your allegiance to him who said, behold, I make all things new. God says, behold, look into your life. Let me have a chance. 
I will make all things new. Allow him to do that for you today and for the rest of your 2014.